Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, I don't know about you, yesterday I was driving around the coast and I love the rain. I was like, this is perfect running weather. I don't know what you did in the rain. You probably avoided it, but anyway, I loved it. So it's great to be, no one laughed at that except Chloe. Thanks, darling. Sympathy laugh. Um, it's great to be here with you. And you know, um, this week, um, if you aren't aware, maybe you're new to Suncoast Church, you haven't been around for a, a couple of weeks. Um, for the past 18 months, our, our youth team here under Stephen and Ashley have been leading that, have been preparing for uh, a waking conference. Um, obviously, it was put on hold last year due to COVID. And so for 18 months, they have been planning and getting ready. And uh, I know many of you have been involved in that. And unfortunately, as you'll be aware, the night before it was meant to kick off, we had to pull the pin on it. And so we had about 400 teenagers, obviously, who were left like, no, but then you know, this place was all set up. So quite literally, it was set up. We watched the news, turn around, start packing down. So to transform this in order to be ready for you this morning on Sunday, an amazing team. Obviously, they were heartbroken. Um, and I know many of you as well were invested into it. A lot of you uh, financially gave. I think we, we raised $10,000 in sponsorship to be able to send kids to go to the conference that, um, that's now been postponed. So what we wanted to do is just let you know, number one, we are hoping to postpone it to later on this year. So once kind of the dust settles and things kind of cool down, we'll look at when a, uh, you know, an appropriate time would be. So um, if you were someone and you're curious about well, what do we do now with it, we will be in touch with you. We will communicate with you about that. But again, I just wanted to appreciate, particularly hearing Jariah's story just before. Um, it's just so amazing. This is a church that is for all generations and believes in the next generation and is making room for people to encounter Christ in whatever capacity or space that might look like. And um, so don't believe the highlights. Don't believe the newsreels that the next generation is all horrible and all vaping and all, you know, throwing cars upside down. No, they're not. There's a lot of good kids and you are making a great difference in their lives. So thank you so much for that. Um, <clears throat> so uh, obviously over the past 15 months, there's been some words that have been uh, abused and overused far too much. But there's good reason for that, and it brings up uh, a, few, a few important points, particularly as we're talking in this series about Ben, don't break. And you're going to not want to miss next Sunday with Dan Patterson. He is uh, one of the leading you know, Christian apologist thinkers uh, in the country. In fact, he's well-renowned, lives in Brisbane. So if you're someone who's not normally in church, if you're watching along online, you don't even know whether you believe in God, um, you are going to absolutely love Dan. He helps to kind of make some really complicated ideas about faith in God super easy to understand. And obviously, on the, after the PM service, there'll be Q&A with him as well. You will love it. But, um, you know, we've been trying to figure out how to kind of as Chloe said before, when things are unpredictable, you know, we've been kind of working our way around the world as it is. And so we hear words like being resilient, which I think is super important. And I think any time in life, this is an important skill to learn. How do you learn to be resilient? Um, what's some other words? Uh, adaptable, okay? We've all used this one, right? In fact, I think like two weeks into lockdown last year, I wrote like this blog about adaptability, uh, thinking, you know, we'll get through the next 14 days. It'll be awesome. <clears throat> Anyway, that was 14 months ago. But um, so we're learning, yeah, it's not funny, is it? So um, learning to be adaptable. The other one is flexible, okay? So it's like we have to learn to be flexible with our plans and our arrangements. And so a lot of you have learned to be flexible with like holiday plans, wedding plans, um, housing plans, schooling plans. So these are things we've all had to, again, rediscover and find out about ourselves. My question is, how have you gone? Are you a flexible person? Are you someone that's found out that you're actually super adaptable to the situation? Are you resilient? 
Or have you found that actually maybe your resilience has taken quite a hit? I certainly know if I'm honest, my resilience has been tested like it never has been in ways that I've never experienced, certainly over the past 12 months. And, you know, it causes us to ask some honest and real questions. But I don't think these are just things for the season of life that we're all experiencing now. I think these are good life skills to have all the time. In fact, I'm, I was thinking through, when are some times in my life where I've seen things like being flexible or being adaptable or being resilient have come into play? And my mind instantly went back to a traumatic time in my life where um, I didn't have a hairdo, I had a, I had a hair don't. And me and my little brother, get it? And me and my, I'm a dad, yes! Um, were involved in like playing music. And similar to the conference that we had to cancel this week, we were often found ourselves uh, playing music in conferences. And if you don't believe me, I'm gonna give you a little insight to what me and my little brother used to look like about 15 years ago. Um, I found the smallest picture possible to keep you guessing, but that's me on the left. You can see my mullet resting on my shoulders. The little brother on the right, that's his resting face. And the guy in the middle is our adopted brother, James, who I think might be here today if you are a brother, but that's just for you. But this is, our, this is a cool, obviously terrific fashion. Um, it's a great time in our life. And so my brother and I were asked to play at a conference. I was asked to play guitar. They're obviously scraping the bottom of the barrel to, for me to get the call up. And my little brother, Cam, was playing bass guitar. So we got to do a few of the sessions at this conference. Now, the head of like the, the band for this conference uh, had a reputation of doing things by the book, you will be organized, be prepared, you will be ready or you'll face the consequences. Now, me being the good child in, this, in my family, I was ready, I was prepared. Uh, my little brother Cam, not so much. You can get that photo off right now. People are getting nightmares by it. It's going to be imprinted into their mind. You can go back a slide. Oh yeah, no slide, even better. Um, so so um, we were, got to play in one of these sessions. And so I came ready with all the, I knew the songs. My little brother didn't. He's like, ah, it's bass guitar. It's not even a real instrument. You know, I'll just, that's his opinion, not mine, if you're a bass guitarist. And so he didn't come prepared. He's like, it's all, it's all easy. Anyway, one of the songs, and we got to do the practice before the service, uh, was a song that he had not practiced, not once, didn't know the chords to it. But the funny thing was, this whole song was driven by the bass guitar, and the opening of the song was a bass guitar solo. And I looked at him when he found us on the list and the person who again runs the, the, the music for the conference was like, all right, let's do this song, let's practice it. And I looked straight over my little brother Cam going, you are in for it. You are, gonna, you are going down, brother. And I was there for it. Like, this is gonna be the best moment. And so, you know, the drummer sticks it in and, in, and, and I, Cam just gave me this look. He was not worried, he was not panicked. You could see he was just adapting to his environment. He's like, I've got this. So he just made it up. And I'm there like, going, this, this is going down. He'll quit. And he's just playing around. And we finish the song. And at the end of it, I'm waiting for him to get smacked down. But yet the, the head of the band said, Cam, I love what you did there to improvise in that song. Kudos to you. That was brilliant. And he's like, that's right. Adapting, improvising. You know, I'm like, I can't believe you got away with that. Okay, but you know, in all seriousness, you know, these things are super, you know, they're important for all our lives. And we experience it in many different ways, learning to be, you know, resilient and adaptable and improvising. Um, but we've, you know, over the past few months, in fact, over the past year, we've often talked about this in light of where our faith in Jesus comes into this and how it's important, as Chloe touched on today, in a world that's unpredictable, God is super predictable, and how, how that helps us then to hold our plans lightly whilst we hold our hope tightly. And again, if you've been around here, you'd have heard us talk about this a number of times. This is, a, a, I think, an important principle for putting your trust in Jesus. It doesn't guarantee that your plans are going to go how you hoped, but you do have a hope and that hope 
is God. And so we've talked about this, and if you're new to church again and you're not familiar with maybe the Christian experience, you're not even sure where you stand with your belief in God, this certainly will bring up a tension that lies in the middle of all the other tensions we experience. And as much as in life we have the unpredictability of things, we have our plans that we can't always depend on, there seems to be this underlying tension underneath all the other tensions. And if you're anything like me, you'd have probably found yourself many times asking the question, why? Why doesn't God stop this tension? And why do I have to be the one who's resilient? And why, why am I the one who has to be adaptable? Why am I the one who has to learn to improvise? God, why don't you just sort this out? Why don't you fix it how I want it to be fixed? Why don't you do it when I want you to do it? And, you know, this is often what my prayers sound like. Why, God? Why can't you just intervene right now? Now, no doubt about it, God answers prayers, and often He does it far beyond what we could hope or dream or imagine. And you might not even be a Christian here, but you go, you know, I've definitely prayed before. And it's funny how in times in our life where there's emergencies, we kind of bring God off, or maybe how we're unsure about God off the sideline, and we got nothing to lose, so we go, God, where are you in this? And so we ask questions about, well, God, why, why don't you intervene? But I want to submit to you this morning that maybe there's another question, or perhaps a better question we can ask than why, and I think it's the question, how? Not why, God, don't you intervene. It's more learning to ask, how does God intervene? And when we ask God, to help, and when we ask God to get involved, and when we ask God to enter into our mess and enter into our tensions and enter into the insecurities in our life, how does He do it? Where is God when things are difficult? Now, to get our answers, as always, Jesus followers clearly should and do get their cues from Jesus Himself. And we fundamentally look at what Jesus taught, but even beyond that, we look at what Jesus did His whole life. And in fact, the whole history and the life of Jesus is in many ways God entering into our tensions and our mess and into our question. The life of Jesus is God entering into the human story. And so again, around this question, how, I want to ask, well, how then did God intervene? If Jesus was God intervening in the human story, how did He do it? Did He do it, you know, through great feats of power and strength? And perhaps you're someone that's asked a question, even if you're Christian or not here, like, God, why, why don't you just show yourself in the sky and prove that you're real, you know? Is that how God did it? God didn't do it that way. And it's worth noting, if He did it that way, He would have taken away your choice to believe, your freedom. Of, there's something about the heart of God that He wants to dignify you with freedom of choice. He doesn't want to take away your ability to choose to believe this, right? And so, so then how did God intervene? If He didn't do it through great feats of power or strength, showing His authority, showing his face in the sky, how did he do it? Well, the New Testament writers give us an insight into how they understood God to have done it through Jesus. And I want to look at one particular passage here from the Apostle Paul writing about how God came onto the human scene and how he intervened into our tensions. And here's what he writes to the Christians in Philippi. He says, in your relationships with one another, I want you to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Next slide. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, 
and been made in human likeness. He didn't come as a king, someone rich, a general. He came as a baby to an ordinary family in a very unextraordinary part of the ancient world. And finally, he says, and being found in appearance as a man, God humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. How did God intervene into our mess, into our tensions? Like this, he came humbly. He lowered himself. He didn't come riding on a big white horse in the clouds with a big army of angels behind him. Although that's will arguably how he'll return. It's not how he arrived at the beginning. He came humbly. He bent low and he served. In other words, the way God wanted to intervene and to make a difference in our life, particularly where there is tensions, the how question we're wrestling with is God did not leverage his authority, but rather he laid it down. Think about how massive that is because in our life, right, if we're ever wanting to deal with tensions in our life, we will find where our resources are. We will find where we have authority. We'll find, you know, it's like, it's not what you know, it's who you know. So we'll find someone in the know who can help us. But it seems like God turned his back on his authority and his ability to help himself. And he laid his authority down. And arguably God bent down. He didn't break humanity. He bent down for us. And as beautiful as that is a picture about who Jesus is and why we sing and why we celebrate Jesus, why we pause and remember him in our days and be grateful for his grace to us, it's worth asking the question, well, where and how does this help us now? And if you think about where the epicenter of most of the tensions are in your life and most of the, perhaps the fights in your life or the, the hard points in your life, I think Paul knows where they are. And he calls it out in the opening passage of what we just read. If we go to the next slide, if you remember the first line, he said, in your relationships with one another, I want you to have the same mindset as Christ. And he calls it out as if to say the epicenter, probably most of the tensions you and I experience aren't just what we hear in the television, aren't just report cards that we get back from the teachers about our kids. I argue that probably most of our arguments come from our relationships. And Paul pointed out here, our relationships with one another. And if you think about it, especially, especially in 2021, it seems like we are finding it vastly more difficult for us to disagree over anything. And it's like as soon as there is a divisive, divisive thought or idea or topic, it's like the relationship hangs in the balance. And it's like, if we, depending on where we sit on this topic, depends on whether you and I can be friends, depends whether you and I can break bread, depends whether you and I can get along here. And it seems like we are slowly losing the ability to disagree and slowly losing the ability to debate and to talk and to discuss and to navigate necessary healthy tensions in our relationships. I mean, think about it. We can't avoid conflicts or disagreements or arguments as long as you've got a heartbeat and a breathing oxygen, right? You're gonna engage with disagreement with people, but it doesn't have to mean that that relationship needs to break up over it. And maybe the Jesus follower, we can learn to bend a little in order that the relationship won't break a lot. And this is what I want to kind of hone in on this morning. Before we get to the other parts of this series, I think it's super important for us to wrestle with one of the major tensions that our faith needs to make a practical difference in. Think about it. I mean, there's probably certain topics that you just will avoid bringing up at work. Because you know, if you get into a debate with your colleagues, it's going to be super awkward, Right? 
Maybe for those of you who've got, you know, family spread out all over the place and you come together at Christmas time or major events, there's like, there's like that one family member, you're like, please don't bring up that topic. Please don't bring up that topic. Or there's just some things you won't talk about because you know that the, the, what was supposed to be a nice Christmas lunch is going to dissolve into World War Three at your kitchen table. And there's no coming back from that. And you haven't even got to the main course yet, right? So it's like, please, just please, can we not disagree over this or whatever it might be? It might even be with your spouse or the people in your own home. You know, I just think, the way we engage with our relationships with one another, this is so important to learn how God engages with tensions because we all experience it ourselves. And maybe there's a way that we can bend when it comes to relationship tension rather than having to break the relationship. Because um, a lot that hangs in the balance. I recall many years ago, I was uh, asked to speak uh, at, funnily enough, at a youth group and uh, kind of rocked up there and there's kids everywhere and there was this one guy really shouldn't be in there's probably a bit old maybe 18 or 19 seemed to be super troubled definitely intoxicated and was caused a bit of trouble and I'm like I'm gonna try and make a difference here like I'm the I'm the, the preacher and the speaker I don't know how to sort this so I went over and tried to like smooth it out and see what's happening and it super escalated really quickly and I realized this guy was not in the mood of talking with some preacher guy about his problems and so there was plenty of good you know, youth leaders in, this youth, in the youth group that was there around. So I was just like, you know, I'll back off and leave you guys to it. I mean, fast forward about an hour, the meeting's happening. I'm sitting on the front row, about to be introduced, you know, to preach, to get up on stage and encourage all the kids. And just before I was introduced to get up, I'm in the zone and I hear this, you're dead, Pastor Jono. I'm like, what was that? And this guy had broken through the security, great job guys, and was beelining me in front of all these kids running down from the back of the auditorium to where I was sitting on the front row. And he's like, I want to smash you. And I'm like, okay, what were those things I learned at those two kickboxing lessons I had 10 years ago? How do I, what do I do? This is, wow, he's actually coming for me. I can see the red in his eyes from here. And I start going over this and I was like, oh, wait a sec, wait a sec, wait a sec. You better not do anything like that. Like you're the guest speaker. Don't, oh, I mean, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Don't. And then I start thinking, what, what would Because I can't like get into a full on, you know, in front of all the kids. Just between you and me, I wouldn't know what to do anyway, but don't tell anyone that, okay? Um, so as he's coming down, he's beelining me. I'm like, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna have to take a few. Like, what would, what would Jesus do, you know? So I, I lent in my cheek, you know, I did. I was like, okay. So I just kind of covered myself best as I could. And I took about three or four of the best ones to my head until the guys managed to tackle him. And then I had to get up and preach. Hey, you know, how's it going, kids? Don't tell your parents, you know. <laughs> and but that's what that's what that's what engaging in relationship tensions can be like, right? They can they can get out of hand and escalate real quickly. And so we need to be cautious. We need to learn. Is there a way? Can we learn anything from how God intervened into the human tension? Is there anything you and I can learn from the Jesus way about how we can take part in the relationships we all experience? and the tensions they no doubt have. And to do that, I want to read through an entire letter today. It's again found in the New Testament by the same author who penned this, the Apostle Paul. A bit of context is not familiar. Paul uh, was a super religious guy, so religious that he thought Christians were the enemy. He hunted them until he would throw them in jail or at times consent to their death until he himself met Jesus, turned his life around. He became a leader in the first century church. And so he penned a lot of letters amongst other leaders in the church that were kept 
by the first century church and they were circulated all around the Mediterranean rim. These were like, these helped to shape how to kind of apply and outwork what Jesus taught and what Jesus did. And in fact, they're all eventually, those that were kept were eventually collated into what we now have as our Bible. And one of these letters, it's probably one of the smallest letters we have in the New Testament. It was written to an individual. It was a personal letter. And it brings up a tension that is actually quite remarkable that's even in the world today. And he writes to a fellow Christian who was a slave owner. And just imagine for a moment that you met someone today who owned a slave. What would you have to say? I mean, you don't even have to have, be a Christian or believe in God here to like, be like, I've got some words and they're not nice. But what would you say? What would you write? And this is literally where we find the tension of this letter. So there's three characters to be aware of in this particular story. Number one is Paul, and he is the author. He's the pastor in this situation, and he's writing it. And the person he's writing to is Philemon. This is the name of the letter. Who's a Christian, uh, but he's also a slave owner. And Onesimus was Philemon's runaway slave. Okay, so here's where we find the story. Here's where we pick up the tension. And to understand the context here, in the Roman Empire in the first century, slavery was very legal. In fact, it, the whole economy of the Roman Empire depended on it. So estimates are above one in three people in the Roman Empire at this time were slaves. So everywhere you looked, there were slaves. There were different kinds of slaves, and I don't have to get into that. You, you're smart, and you're probably aware of this anyways. And, but even beyond the fact it was legal, it was also super accepted. It wasn't taboo at all. People weren't like going, oh, you've got a slave. Like, that, was, that wasn't even a thing until Christians started like pointing out, hang on, maybe we shouldn't be treating you know, people like, like a commodity, right? Maybe they're, maybe they're worth more than that, okay? So before that was even a thing, there was a Christian brother who owned a slave and Onesimus had run away, found Paul, who at this point was in prison in Rome, and somewhere along the line, Paul led Onesimus, the runaway slave, to faith in Jesus, and so this letter Paul wrote to Philemon, Onesimus got sent by Paul. See why I haven't had the names up because it's, or else it'll be really confusing. If you're watching online, hopefully you can see this or following. And sent Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter that we're about to read. And you have to understand this letter made such a big difference of showing the Jesus way of engaging in relationship tension. It was so important and, and made such a difference that they kept it. And, and Philemon was like, this needs to be something that everyone reads. And this needs to be someone that everyone learns from. And it got spread around the whole first century Christian church to the extent that it got kept, eventually put in our Bibles. And here we are in 2021, still reading about how the Jesus way changes the way you and I disagree with people we're in relationship with. Are you ready for it? Thank you, Chloe, my favorite. Okay, here's how it goes. Here's how he opens. Because I always thank my God as I remember you. This is Paul writing to the slave owner, Philemon. He goes, I always thank my God. Would that be your opening line to a slave owner if you met them? Okay, so you're getting the picture here. He goes, I thank God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all these holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. So we see first and foremost, before he addresses any issue, he's been praying for him. That's a really good secret right there. If you're a Jesus follower, before you open your mouth, to criticize, maybe take a moment to pray. And then it goes on. And he says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share. 
for the sake of Christ. Now notice what he's doing here. He's saying we have a partnership. So what he's doing is he's highlighting where they agree. Okay, and again, this is a little secret source for like if you're figuring out, I really need to bring up something pickling in this relationship. Find what you agree on first. Find something you both agree on first. You don't even need to be a believer in God to do that, okay? Find something you agree on, something you're in partnership with. Begin there before you disperse into where you disagree, okay? This is what Paul's doing, pointing out their partnership. And then to finish his introduction, he goes on to the next verse and says, your love has given me great joy. I would not be writing this personally. I would be saying your vulgar treatment of a human being made in the image of their heavenly father has enraged me and I'm coming to get you. That's what I'd be writing personally, but hey, that's just me. It says, but your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Again, what is he doing here? He found something to celebrate. So before we even get to him addressing the issue, Paul straight away does three things. He's been praying for the guy. He finds something to agree with, with the guy. Like, let's find common ground. And thirdly, he points something out to honor and appreciate and celebrate about the guy. Before he brings out what is wrong and what's horrible and where he disagrees, he affirms him and he celebrates this. What's he doing here? Here's what I think we can learn. When it comes to the Jesus way of engaging with relationship tensions, we must learn to value the relationship more than you value being right. Now, I don't, I don't like this necessarily, but this seems to be the Jesus way and how Paul exemplified this and how he was treating a slave owner, that he valued the relationship far more over than just simply being right. Before he even began to tackle the tension, he was again affirming their relationship and affirming what was good. And the thing is, following Jesus many ways teaches us to see all of life in this way. It doesn't take anyone of great skill or great capacity or great character to point out what's wrong about someone. You don't even have to believe in God to be able to point out what's wrong about someone. We all naturally do that. But sometimes it's indeed requires us trusting in Jesus to be able to see what's right about someone. And anyone can point out and criticize what's wrong about the world. But I want to encourage you, if you are a member of Suncoast Church, that you would always be someone counted amongst those who celebrates what's right about people, who finds something to honor about your loved ones and about your neighbors. And I know what you're thinking, because I certainly think the same thing. This can often sound like some sort of weak cop-out, but it's not. It's a necessary conviction to be able to bend rather than break a relationship. It's the grace way. It's choosing grace over legalism. It's determining that you want to build bridges with this person rather than burn them down. And ultimately, this is how God loves you and me, how he loves everyone. He values our relationship so highly that when we don't deserve it, God still decided to show us great kindness. And so Paul goes on and he lays this foundation and continues. He said, therefore, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. And we're all nodding our heads going, yeah, you should do that. He says, yeah, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. I want to do it for the sake of my son Onesimus. This was the runaway slave who was delivering the letter to Philemon. I want to do it for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. Other words saying, when I was here in chains in prison in Rome, he became like a son to me. I led him to Jesus. And now we've built such a relationship 
that he's like a son to me. It's amazing how here we see Paul showing attack where he chooses to appeal rather than command. He said, I could order you to do what you ought to do, but I don't. Because of the sake of love, because of the sake of relationship, I'm changing my tact. I'm changing my tone because of love. That might seem like a cop-out, but it's not. It's actually the most courageous, risky, bold, comfortable thing we could ever do. It's diverting from pressuring, manipulating, guilting someone into doing things and choosing the Jesus way. It can seem counterintuitive, but it's how God did it. He bent down. And what Paul did here, instead of leveraging his authority over Philemon, saying, I'm your upline, I'm your spiritual headship, I could order you to do what you ought to do. He didn't. He lent into his love for him. And I think what we can learn here is we must allow our love for someone to outshine our authority over them. Let me reiterate this. I am not saying by any stretch of the imagination that you should renege on your authorities or you should neglect what your duties and your authorities are by any means. What I am saying is allow your love for the people that you engage with to outshine your authority over them, to be bolder and louder and more prevalent than we, us just leaning back on our titles or our authorities or our positions. Um, I'm certainly no pro in this department, but I've definitely had a lot of these conversations that I've probably learned a few things along the way. And I'm not even saying this is the right way of doing things. I'm just saying this is what I've observed. And many times I've sat down with, with maybe some of you, with parents over the years who have particularly had tensions with their teenage kid. And you've been, a te- you know, we've all been teenagers once before. You remember those arguments, and those fights you had with your parents over super important things and all these tensions you have with your parent. If you've been a parent of teenagers before, you might not remember all the fights you've had. Or some of you, maybe it's a certain fight you had that has now kind of tarnished your whole relationship, whatever it might be. I've often sat down with parents and that have been kind of locking horns with their teenager over something. Who knows what it is? And there's one particular uh, mom that I sat down with and her teenage son, would have been about 16 or 17 at the time, their relationship was on a breaking point. They could not have a conversation without a fight, um, name calling, voices raised. The tension was palatable. I met with the kid and I was like, wow, this is like really out of hand. And, you know, he was engaging definitely some unwise life decisions and the mum loved her son. But her whole approach to addressing it, man, it just, it would just cause constant friction and tension even beyond the issue itself. In fact, the way this mum was approaching her son became more of the issue than the issue she was trying to bring up with the son, right? And so it became such a, such a point of contention. So I just sat with him like, again, I do not have teenage children. I've been a teenager uh, you know, I pastored teenagers for 10 years, but I certainly haven't parented one. So this, just, this is just my two cents worth for whatever it is. I said, what if you just change tack for a moment? She's like, well, what do you mean? He's doing the wrong thing. This is my house. I'm the parent. He's what I say. I'm like, I don't disagree, but I just want to point out the obvious. If you haven't noticed, it ain't working. It's like, maybe, maybe there's another tact. If you don't want this to break, are you willing to bend a little in order to save the relationship? She's like, go on, I'm listening. I was like, okay. Like, you love this kid more than the issues, right? She's like, of course. So he's not hearing that right now. I go, maybe you need to re-engage with affirming the relationship rather than always pointing out where you disagree about a certain issue or a topic or a behavior. Because it seems like the tension here is getting more airtime than the relationship itself. 
So maybe, maybe give more airtime to your love and relationship that you have with one another than giving so much airtime to this particular tension. And she was like, all right, I'll give that a shot. So like every time he comes home, don't just bring up the issue straight away because every conversation you have is a fight. Just maybe bench it. The issue's not going away. Bring it up on Thursday maybe. But like, it's Tuesday. Just say, how you doing? How's school? You know, cool shirt, whatever it might be. Don't give the tension all the spotlight, right? Allow your love for them to outshine the authority that you inevitably have over them. And again, I'm no pro at this, but I'm certainly learning that in all our relationships, I think it's super important to invest in the person more than you fight with the person. Let me say that again. In your relationships with one another, I think the Jesus way shows us that we are investing in those people in our lives more than we fight with the people in our lives. All right, that's pastoral chat from John O'Dunn today. Okay, Paul goes on and continues in his letter. He says this, speaking obviously about Onesimus and, and like he's, I'm sending him back to you. He says, formerly, he was useless to you. And this is a play on words because the name Onesimus literally means useful. So he's saying, listen, previously Onesimus, the useful, was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and me. And I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. Okay, this is, I find this an amazing moment right here because essentially Paul is finally addressing the issue, right? He's affirmed, he's prayed for him, he's celebrated him. You know, they found the point of agreement and then he starts investing into the relationship and he doesn't order him and boss him around. He's like, I love you. And now we finally get to the crux of the very issue itself. He's like, I've got an Eastmas who ran away and guess what? I'm actually sending him back to, I don't want to, but here he is, okay? And I think if you're anything like me, too often we can be like Anisimus, the slave who ran away. But where there's a tension, we would prefer to run and run to the hills and get out of the tension and ignore it. And instead of bringing it up and get to the root of the problem, it's like, let's just pretend it never happened. Let's never talk about it. And it's another issue we sweep under the lino in our kitchen, never to address ever again. And we want to run away. And I don't blame you for that because tensions are awkward. They're not nice. And if you think they're nice, then you're one of those people who think tensions are nice. And God bless you. Please teach the rest of us how you do it. But, but we can often at times, I think, run to Jesus and turn to faith when attention gets too much. And I certainly do that. I don't blame him for doing that. In fact, Jesus is indeed a refuge from the tensions in our world. But here's what you find. Whenever you turn to Jesus, and you might be someone who's in church today because there is an untenable tension in your life. And so you've got, I've got no one else to turn to. I'm giving Jesus a go. That might be why you're watching online today as well. And you're giving the faith thing a go because nothing else has worked. That is a great decision to make. But what you'll find is when you come to Jesus and you're convinced that something is gonna break you, something is, is, is gonna get the best of you, what you'll find is Jesus will do something in your life while you run to Him. And you won't just find that he becomes a refuge from the world. You'll actually find that as you run to Jesus with your problem, he'll actually help you then to go back to the world you ran from and to be a light to the world. Now, no mistake about it. If you're in something and you need a breather and you need encouragement, I know that's why many of you after a week you've had, you're like, I'm so grateful to be in an environment where we can sing and be encouraged and you know, people around who are somewhat friendly and aren't blowing up at me. And so you know, we can run to... Christian community, we run to Jesus to find encouragement. But what you'll often get there is Jesus then going, right, I've encouraged you. I've filled you with my Holy Spirit. Now get back out there and be a light to the world. Stop being such a wuss, right? 
Ah, geez, it's such harsh language. I don't know. I wonder if Jesus wants to remind us sometimes that, remember, as you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to be salt and light to the world, not to be afraid of the world. So every time you turn to Jesus in the middle of attention, hoping for encouragement, you 100% get it. But the next thing he does, he reminds you that you have the chance in every engagement with a person to help ease human suffering. Every conversation you have with someone, you have the chance to bring peace to someone's world. You don't have to be a thorn in someone's side. You don't have to bring headaches to people. You can be the one that helps alleviate tension and alleviate pressure. And the more you keep running to Jesus, the more Jesus will remind you that you're called to be his representative in every single person you get the chance to meet. In other words, all right, Jesus can take a thorn that's in your side and turn it into a tool in your belt. Okay, now you know this because you've lived enough. You've, you've been through maybe discouragement or pressure in your life and you've worked through disappointment and loss only then to realize that your experience has now made you incredibly resourceful and incredibly useful. And remember what Paul said, you know, previously he was useless. Now he's useful. And maybe there's a tension or something you've been through difficult with a relationship or a friend or a colleague and you're like, that's so painful. I wonder if, if God's done enough in your life that you now can realize this is maybe a tool in my belt now. I can help bring what I've learned and make a difference in the tensions that I'm experiencing. You might be asking, well, how the heck did that happen? Because that sounds super encouraging, but how does it happen? And if you're not a Christian here, what I'm gonna say next probably won't make sense to you. So for the next 15 seconds, I'm cool if you tune out. First way for you and I to learn how God actually does this in our life and we can find something that would have been useless and turn it into useful is prayer. Prayer. I just want to encourage you one thing. Before you go racing down the hall and give that person a piece of your mind, let them know where you stand and it's super important to know where you stand. It's great to have that in your life. But before you unleash barrage of your deep wells of wisdom and opinion, some people. Go to your heavenly father first. Number one, when you do that, it'll take the edge off your tone. It'll take the edge off maybe if you've got some agenda behind your opinion. And you'll learn when you look up, see things from your heavenly father's perspective. And what it'll do, it'll probably take a tone of legalism out, which we're gonna say, and infuse a little bit of grace Again, this is before even you believe in God to do something for the tension. It usually does something in us. When we pause and pray for a moment, we pause for long enough to learn to see the tension from your heavenly Father's point of view. And here's Paul talking to Philemon saying, listen, I know this guy was useless to you. I know he ran away. Arguably he stole from, we find out later that he stole from Philemon. He's like, but I want you to receive him back. I'm sending him back to you. Another way of saying, I need you to forgive him. And forgiveness is the other way in which we take something that's been maybe only painful or only difficult and all of a sudden become something useful and resourceful for us being encouragement to others. There's no way Philemon could have ever changed what happened in the past with Onesimus, but him choosing to forgive him could certainly open doors for future relationships. And Paul's request to Philemon required Philemon letting go of past offenses in order to be open to new possibilities. And I say this with all the gentleness and 
empathy I can muster because I know when that word comes up on screen or you hear someone say the word forgiveness, for many of us, you see a face or you, you feel a feeling or you have a memory of a time where a relationship's been broken. Something happened that broke it. And so forgiveness is costly and forgiveness is hard and forgiveness is confronting. There's no doubt about it. If we get our cues from Jesus, and I think it's a good idea to do, God chose the path of forgiveness in order to reconcile humanity back to himself. And if we want things to go the God way in our relationships, then we gotta go the God way too. One of the hardest, most difficult daily challenges for any of us. And I'm not saying this as a law, I'm not saying this to guilt anyone into it, bring it up because we all experience this. And we don't wanna keep rehashing the pains of the past over and over again. We all want a better future. And sometimes, sometimes forgiveness is a doorway to getting there. More on that another time. So as Paul brings this to, thanks guys, as Paul brings this to a landing, he paints a picture of what forgiveness would actually look like between Onesimus and Philemon. It's amazing. He says this, perhaps the reason that Onesimus, the slave, was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. What's amazing is Philemon had the right to punish Onesimus, the runaway slave, under Roman law. Had the complete right to do it. Could have flogged him, could have even killed him. He had the right to do it. A slave that ran away, a slave that stole from him. But Paul appealed to Philemon, not on the basis of Roman law. He went above Roman law. He appealed to a higher law. He appealed to the law of Christ. And as Christ taught, he said, listen, here's the one law I want you to live by. Love each other as I have loved you. The way I've showed you grace, that's how I want you to love others. The way I've offered unconditional forgiveness, that's how I want you to do it. The way I've shown you how to live, that's how I want you to live, right? That is the law. And it's worth knowing for Christians, regardless how crazy the world gets, a Christian doesn't undermine the law. A Christian will always rise above laws. We're called to a higher standard. Now, what's amazing here, he brings it about, hey, don't no longer be a slave. Listen, no, funnily enough, nowhere in the New Testament do we ever find an overt um, kind of objection or criticism of slavery. Now, there are certain things that, like this letter here, that would suggest where they're at, but don't find anything overt that rebukes systematic slavery. In fact, we don't find a direct rebuke of many social ills in the world in the New Testament. But what we do find all through the New Testament is an underlying Christian ethic, morality, and virtue that permeates everything based on this one law of Christ, to love your neighbor as you've been loved by Christ. It's the one law to rule them all. They didn't have to list out every single social ill and sin and evil. They didn't have to. They said, we're gonna show one good thing. Do we want to infect and infest? Wow, it's a weird word, but there you go. Everything you do in life, that this would be the tone and the language and your approach of all your relationships, of everything you see in the world is that we would love our neighbor as we have been loved by our heavenly Father. And this is how the kingdom of Jesus has always worked. It's never been a top-down, enforce it, bring out the troops. It's been small. It's been something that is hidden and it's something that grows. It's never from the top-down. It's always from the ground up, from the inside out. And that is how 
Jesus said the Holy Spirit would work in our lives. His promise is that the moment you trust Him with your life, you'd receive the gift of His Spirit. And when you do that, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to make you more like Jesus. And ultimately, what Paul was asking Philemon to do, to receive him, not as a slave that you could punish and pay back. He said, why don't you receive him as a Christian brother? And I find this often what happens in our lives when we are asking God for some kind of resolution to attention or a problem with a person or something we're navigating. And we ask God, would you work out there? Usually the work he does is in here. And we go, God, would you fix this relationship problem? He'll go, let's talk about what's happening on the inside of you. And before we want to manipulate and change the circumstances to go according to our plan, he's like, I want you to take the mind of Christ. Have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And he begins to change us in here. Paul was asking Philemon to change how he viewed this young man, Onesimus, standing in front of him, to no longer view him as property, a commodity, as a problem to solve, as a tension to navigate. He wanted to see him as a brother in Christ. And in order for that to change, he had to change. And that's what Jesus, that's what his spirit constantly doing in our lives. And just to bring the point home, Paul covers all the bases, shuts all the doors, closes the conversation with something that is so Christ-like. It's one of the most beautiful passages I find in all the New Testament. He says this, if he has done you any wrong, writing again to the owner about the slave who stole from him and ran away, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Little bit of Greek manipulation on the side there, right? He's like, you do know that if you didn't meet me, your life would have never been turned around. So I, I don't want to bring that up. That's just an afterthought. I'm not leading with that. It's just, a, it's just an afterthought. He's saying, listen, if, literally, if you're out of pocket, I understand that like he's a commodity. You're like, well, I just take him back as a brother. What about? He's like, charge it to me. If this is going to cost you so much to forgive this guy, charge it to me. In other words, Paul took personal responsibility for the attention he was addressing. He absorbed the error unto himself, exactly like Jesus does for you. Jesus absorbs our errors into himself. This is the message of the gospel. It's why we sing songs about the cross, but the resurrection, because our errors and when we brought tension, God's like, I'll absorb it into me. And when you trust me with your life, everywhere you've made mistakes, everywhere you have regret, we'd call that sin, because I'll take it on my life and I will forgive you. And so in the answer to the question that we posed at the beginning, where is God when tension's happening? How is God working when we're experiencing tension? Well, like Paul did here, going, I'm going to be an example of Jesus in this relationship. You and I are encouraged with the same thing. And every single encounter that we have with a person in our world, we have the chance to represent Jesus. Every single time there is a tension in the relationship, I just want you to pause for a millisecond and be reminded of this. 
that like Paul demonstrated here, what does it mean to have the same mindset of Jesus Christ in our relationship? What does it mean for here to not choose to break down this relationship, but rather bend into this relationship? And you get the chance every time you choose the Jesus way of engaging in some, with someone you disagree with, with someone that you're politically divided on, with someone that there's a severe tension severing the relationship, you have the chance to bring a little bit of the fragrance of heaven into that tension. Every time you choose the Jesus way, you, give to, you get the chance to pour out the cup of grace into someone's life. You get the chance to have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. So, next time, blood boils, you've got your fingers ready on the keyboard, ready to give your, I wanna ask you this, are you breaking? Is what you're about to say about the breaker relationship or will you choose to bend? Heavenly Father, we need your help because this is near impossible for us to figure this out and do this on our own. We're grateful for your Holy Spirit helping us every day to be like Jesus. So I am asking today that you would again remind us of Jesus and how far he bent to reconcile us. And I pray particularly, Lord, for those that maybe don't know that about you and have never been aware that you bent down for them, that you laid down your life for them. May every heart here today be reminded of the gospel of Jesus, of his promise of reconciliation and forgiveness. And may we as Jesus followers be stewards of that in how we interact in every relationship. Lord, particularly those this morning that maybe have a living with the consequences of a failed relationship and they maybe feel guilt or sense of they've done wrong in the past. I pray this morning that you would lift up any guilt of people's lives, that you remind them that they are forgiven I pray today that I have a new awareness of your grace towards them and may you do something in them that changes their life forever. And yes, may you bring together the relationships here that are in all our minds that we're experiencing tension in and you bring them together like only you can. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au.